podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria Tellez interviews Sebastian Shug, who is an author, illustrator, narrator, and publisher from Burbank, California. Since expanding and branding his talents into one umbrella entity under the independent Sebastian Shug Publishing, he has worked with a vast variety of clients, artists, authors, photographers, and directors alike, who come individually from a wide demographic pool each of which sporting new, unique genres and ideas that were never considered and or virtually thought upon. In these instances, progressively gaining increasing momentum of audiences beginning to recognize his brand, Sebastian began to learn the importance of what he does, outside of a mere vanity standpoint. He began to notice just how much of a tool various artistic subsets became once in tandem with others, and the stories that they would produce for themselves. All at once, he was faced with the gripping reality that is the world of storytelling, that he could not be the only one with such a groundbreaking idea in the world. Humility is a powerful feeling, and granted that feeling at the age of 20 was about the most groundbreaking event that has affected Sebastian since. Suddenly, he began to simply let go, wondering what other benefits could be garnered by operating under a system that produced other individuals' works in a charitable manner. His mental, physical, and emotional health especially began to flourish. By opening himself up to new opportunities and possibilities suggested by his fellow authors, artists, and clients, Sebastian began to explore new ventures in the field of narration, taking to podcast hosting, co-hosting, and establishing audio archives of his previous narrative works. Music already playing a major role in my calm, relaxed demeanor paved the way to establish my own independent artist profile, Shugzy. All in all, it was incredibly cathartic and therapeutic to boot, shaping his company and passion around what he deemed important, a new worldly view of what was around him and the methods in which he would assist other individuals of reaching their goals in unison. Meet Sebastian at cboybookact.wixsite.com slash ssnmp. Here is the interview with Sebastian Shug. In your own words, who is Sebastian Shug? In my own words, Sebastian Shug is a type of person whose family lineage definitely uh, supersedes him. (laughs) And what I mean by that is, you know, I grew up in a bit of a non-traditional household, um, for lack of a better word, coming from two parents of two different backgrounds, both of which uh, delved into the educational sphere. That was sort of the path that I was expected to go on. And going down the more creative slash commerce path in the way that I did with publishing, I think I was definitely the type that went against the grain in that regard. I was definitely against the grain in the regard that I decided to put my education to a halt. Uh, I did graduate college, but uh, past that, it's something that I've now decided to um, pursue with my publishing uh, full on, essentially. So that sounds wonderful to me. Uh, the exploration of self, right? Of who you want to become. Definitely. This is my first question to you. What does it mean to be a human being? 
I would definitely think that what it takes to be well, what it takes to be a human being is, of course, the drive to be able to do something that you as an individual pursue and love to do. Uh, I, I feel like a lot of people struggle with that question internally because what it means to be a human being for some, at least in my point of view, is to be on the independent scale, whereas a lot of people exist, quote unquote, uh, for others. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. It's it's more charitable, but I've mentioned this before to fellow colleagues, other podcasters, other radio stations. When you place your own expectations of the self on others, how others view you, that can often be very dangerous because you may not meet those expectations that they set upon you. Yeah. Again, you may disagree with me. <laughs> Uh, but I feel that being a human being is is to exist in one's own sphere and to, to produce the lifestyle that you want to. Yeah, I do really like this idea or this concept when it's connected to self-knowledge and self-awareness. Is that what you are referring to when you say becoming independent and thinking for yourself? Right. Is that what do you mean, being self-knowledge? Exactly, exactly. And I would, I would venture to guess that the reason I've felt this way, because there was, there was a dramatic switch from, I want to say, high school going into college, was that I realized that, you know, if you take out anything financial, like me having to pay for my own things, me having to budget, you got to take into account social situations and educational circumstances that... No one is holding my hand through this, okay? So it's either I need to learn how to work with this in the way my mind works, or I can go with the grain and do what everyone else is doing. Admittedly, that's what I did. That's what, I, that's what happened to me when I switched majors for the first time and felt that art wasn't my path, and it was actually myself pursuing political science to be a lawyer. I quickly began to realize that I wasn't doing this because I was being an individual. I was doing this because it, the, the illusion of security was the end goal for me. And needless to say, I dropped out of that major, didn't drop out of college, but I switched majors and I still graduated in four years with, with that little tidbit of knowledge of I'm not here for anyone but myself. And I'm not doing this selfishly, but I'm doing this in the in the most independent way that I can in order to not cause that kind of strain, that unnecessary strain on myself. So I'm curious to know what made you to change path? How did you come to that understanding? Admittedly, it was, again, that sense of independence and in coalition of my upbringing. Uh, you know, not to really delve into like personal specifics, but, you know, I was raised by a particular parent, if you will, that really drove home the point of education. And I do think that 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 is important. However, it's education to the point of you want to be the best, you know, this is how you're going to be if you don't pursue this path and you'll essentially be a failure without necessarily saying that, but, you know, I, I could pick up on that. So my pushback with regards to not wanting to be a lawyer anymore, not wanting to go into the legal field and realizing that at the end of the day, admittedly, I was doing it only for vanity in a sense of, you know, looking good in a courtroom talking. Yeah. yeah. That was when I realized, okay, I like doing publishing. I like doing illustration, distribution, essentially economics in the creative field. Why not do that? And it took a little bit, but it really did propel uh, during to after college when I realized that selling yourself, being who I am, it wasn't who I was when I tried to be a part of the pack. And I think that's that's the reason why not only did I maybe sever some ties with the family because I I didn't hold myself to their expectations, but I was I'm definitely more happier as a result. To me that's everything, isn't it? In yeah. life. 
there's no point to keep doing something that we don't feel like because we want to please others or we want to fit. Yeah. No, we only have one shot at this, at life. So it's it's important to make the most out of it. So it seems like we are talking about self-discovery, self-knowledge, and also purpose, finding the purpose of our lives here. So my question is, how did you know or how do we know when we are living our purpose? I can't speak for everyone, but in my own personal circumstance, I can safely say that finding one's purpose is through a mountain of trial and error. I did not start off as a publisher. I started off as something as someone who was drawing in a sketchbook in high school, so to speak. And I thought that I wanted to pursue animation. That was my go-to. I took a, a ton of courses in high school and not only animation, but video production. And I was exposed to a lot of artistic mediums until I realized that the efficacy of creating something, so much work going into, let's say, a 30-second to a minute-long animation, it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. When I thankfully got the opportunity to illustrate my first children's series at the age of 15... I realized that I could still convey these stories and these messages in book form. And not only that, sell it to a large audience. And, you know, at the time when you're 15, 16, you think that you're the big man on campus. <laughs> at least that's what people told me <laughs> because you know, it's few and far between that you see people my age doing uh, what I did back then. And I'm not saying that to brag. It's just I never saw it on campus. So there's nothing to compare it to. When I eventually branched out into different mediums, into different genres, and I started to really understand the publishing process, I didn't go through, you know, XYZ publishing, self-publishing, boutique publishing companies that costed an arm and a leg to do so. You know, sorry, that's the truth of the matter. (laughs) I realized that now that I have the know-how, I can effectively do this on my own, but not only on my own, but I could hire authors and artists to come along for the ride because I was noticing a lot of creatives who didn't necessarily have that outlet. And I wanted to give back to the community in that way. So that's when I started marketing myself. That's when I started creating more books under my brand, Sebastian Shug Publishing. And I guess to roundabout back to the main to the main question, my purpose is has been found, but I can safely say that now it's being worked upon day by day. So it is in a way an evolving process. It, it's very it's very fluid, as I call it, because I at first I thought it was just books. Now it's expanded into audiobooks, into music, film, uh, me. Did I say music? Yeah, I said music. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sorry. Um, into many different mediums that. Had I would have, had I would have told myself at age twenty-two, to me at age eighteen, I would have thought I was crazy. So my next question to you is: Art. What is art to you? How do you define this word? <laughs> <laughs> I get into I get into not only so many discussions, but as well as so many arguments about this question because art is something that is it's so intangible that, you know, it it can't be defined unless it's defined by the individual self, because you can ask the question to two different people and get two different answers at two different times of day, guaranteed, (laughs) after you sit on the question for a little bit. And I don't mean to give you some some textbook art professor answer of, you know, vague ambiguity or anything, but I suppose art to me is something that can be expressed, appreciated, and built off of in a in a manner that set that sits well with the current period that one happens to be living in. You know, do I believe that there is such thing as bad art? Absolutely. <laughs> and it's often you know, and it's often art that attempts to go against the grain in such a way that it's no longer enjoyable to even look at, let alone analyze. Right. And this could be anything. This could be a piece of music that isn't composed properly, a painting that's abstract for the sake of being abstract, or 
a book that does not have a concise plot. Needless to say, I've seen all three of these and many more. And again, to me, not so much, but to the average artistic connoisseur, perhaps that perhaps they see something that I don't. Um, I, I think building off of that, though, the second point of art is discussion, but not deliberation of how you perceive it. I don't think art should be argued for the sake of being argued of being the most smartest person in the room. Absolutely not. Because at that point, it's just vanity and ego, and you can get vanity and ego anywhere. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I hope that answers your question. Um, yeah, that's, that's how I perceive it. And ego, that's uh, an interesting word I mentioned off record. And when I read your article, kind of caught my attention. What is the ego to you? And why do we, some of us, think that we are better than others? We think that we are better than others because we either have a specific perspective, a specific lifestyle, or a quote-unquote tangible, whether it be product or emotion or something that you can showcase to the average person, showcasing that you are, in fact, you know, quantifiably better than them. Now, the ego... Well, the ego to me has always been something that I've tried to avoid because I know the detriment of it. And I know it from personal experience of not just myself, but who I've seen members in my family share. I've seen the path of the the success, the trail of success that family has gone on to only to only to realize that they have the worst attitude in dealing with success. And it's why I kind of always hold the the statement that I always feel that X Y Z, you know, parent, grandparent, relative did nothing, uh, didn't do enough with their life. Whereas I feel that X Y Z parent, another X Y Z parent, did plenty with his or her life, but was waiting for the world to showcase, uh, was waiting for the world to uh, showcase them for it. Now, if you spend the entirety of your life improving yourself, whether it be economically, educationally, socially, or put yourself in, a, in, a, in an altar of popularity, you often miss opportunities that you wouldn't consider at first. And I can safely say that the, that the dumbest ideas I think I've ever had have turned into some of the most fun projects that I've ever worked on. It's very, it's very easy to think that you're better than everyone else when you have an overwhelming sense of accomplishment behind you. The crutch in that, though, is that that accomplishment is actually self-accomplishment. Thereby, you are inflating that accomplishment bigger than what it already is and thinking that, say, you know, X amount of songs, X amount of books, you know, Educationally, hell, PhDs, because that is technically the highest level you can go. You know, look, oh, I have this, 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 and this. I must be better than the average person. That's not necessarily how it works because what are they like in person, right? How are they, how do they converse? And again, you can be the smartest man or woman alive, but if you don't have conversation to save face or like you said, with the ego of people thinking that they're better than others, uh, you're not going to last long in the social <laughs> sphere. So I would say also the sense of inner peace or connectivity. Oh, oh, very yeah. much so. And, and that was kind of the, the flip side of that coin where ego is that independent thought and more so confidence. Right. I know ego has sort of a negative connotation when you when you use it in a sentence, but I would very much attest ego in certain points of my life to having confidence in a topic that I'm very passionate about, confidence to publish first and foremost, because I don't think that I would be able to if I didn't suspend my um, uh, my my insecurities to do so way back when. In the right hands, ego could be great. You're saying that we have part of the ego that's actually useful 
Definitely. We can use that to achieve and to become more confident to do the things we must do in this life. Yeah. And I agree. Yeah. Yeah, it is a double-edged sword, but the good parts are exceedingly grand. And I love it. I really do. What is success to you these days? Success to me these days is being happy within my own self-ability to do something. I used to think that success at 15, 16 years old was being an illustrator, being a publisher and doing what everyone else couldn't do because they didn't have the technological know-how or connections to be able to do it. And with age, with experience, and especially with education, I've learned that that is a very kind of vapid way of living. And it's a very selfish way of living. Nowadays, I consider success to have the free days of the week to pursue my dreams and ambitions of what I really want to do. Thankfully, my schedule, my work schedule, allows me to do that. And then some. I can safely say that success for me is a day, it it is me looking at the week and saying to myself that my days are never wasted because every day is something that I am willing and able and more importantly, want to do. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I think, a lot of, I think a lot of people struggle with that because they, they think success is always tangible, you know, i.e. money. But to me, success is not about things that you can showcase or show off or, you know, bringing back the ego, do it at the extent of other people. It's, it's really something that's found within yourself in your competence to be able to do so. Let's talk about writing for a moment. You are a novelist. So how did you become a writer? I became a writer, uh, again, through trial and error. (laughs) Um, I I began as a contracted illustrator. So in the beginning, I had no input on writing uh, my children's stories. And when it came down to, I think I was at age 18, yeah, or 17, I was in senior year of high school. And I had a little bit of know-how on the whole publishing process and how it worked. So I decided to write my own novel. Now, this was by no means a children's (laughs) novel. This was very much young adult. Um, Dare I say it was probably a little bit more dark humor uh, than than its own good for what it's worth. But the novel portion really spurred out of my love for particular types of media. You know, whether it be film, video games, previous books that I've read, but more importantly, the people that I've met along the way, you know, friends, peers, and other colleagues. Whereas I would be with these people for extended periods of time, whereas it would be maybe six, seven years of me meeting them in elementary school, middle school, what have you, and figure out how these people would go in these stories that I that I was writing. And I would I would put them in there. I'd put them in there as characters because I felt that they were amazing people. I mean, I definitely think that my sort of novelizations are characterizations of how I see the real world, whether they be as outlandish as possible or whether they be as true to reality as possible. Because in each book, in each novel, I'm dedicating it to them. When it came down to writing books that were perhaps, you know, not related to my own life, then I would try to instill my own sense of writing, my own sense of humor, and really make each and every book as personable as possible. Through that, I developed a love for writing. I developed my own style. Um, I suppose with illustration, I managed to not so much cut corners, but... Because I was illustrating, I could design the covers as well, so I could give it more flair if I wanted to. And from start to finish, each book, you know, I could safely say that I'm, I'm so proud for, for doing that, for making it my own. Talk to me for a moment about the work you do and how you work with other artists and authors. Uh, typically, it is on a like digital basis, whereas people will contact 
me either via phone, via email, or really any method of convenience to contact me about a manuscript that they happen to have. Now, people are different. People want to reach different audiences, and they also want to reach different distributors. And I'm not going to go into the whole like publishing side of it, of where these books go, because at the end of the day, if you type a book on Google, it'll most likely show up. <laughs> so, the, <laughs> so you know, the whole sales channels of it all. But Working with other people was actually something that I, I knew I had to do, not only to establish rapport, but to set myself aside uh, personally from other boutique publishers. But working with other people, I can safely say that it's very brick and mortar. You know, I do have a very one of one relationship with them. You know, I contact them through email, they ask me how I'm doing. I ask them how they're doing. You know, I keep up to date on their lives as much as possible because obviously I have my own life. But I do try to cut the corporatism. You know, I don't want to give them a, oh, well, you know, we're doing this for the sake of the company. It's the company, the company, the company. And it's that's that's not me. You know, I I have a brand. It is it is branded as Sebastian Shug Publishing, as I said before, but the job is not dictated of me, so to speak, or I am not dictated of the job, mm. whichever, whichever way that goes. <laughs> right, right. I like that idea too, Sebastian, a lot. Yeah, uh, just being more evolved or being more personal, per se, perhaps not the words not personal. This warmth of be connected to people more closely in a, like you mentioned the word corporate. Yeah, that's really cold and it's all about. I feel that that's, it's very important in the relationship, you know, not only in the artist, producer or publisher relationship, but, you know, just simple one-on-one -on -one human beings yeah. talking to one another. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's about as straightforward as I could put it. So going back to that idea of purpose, but now in a more a larger scale, what do you think is the purpose of the human experience? Ooh. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, the purpose of the human experience, from what I have seen on this planet of 22 years, has definitely been <laughs> has definitely been acceptance. It's been tolerance, it has been analysis, and it has been conveyance. And I'm not trying to sound like any kind of wannabe philosopher when I say that, but I do not view the world the same way that the person sitting next to me on the bus, in class, at work, or anywhere does. And I think that that's very important. Because the human experience is all about trial and error, as, I, as I've said, but it's also about accepting what happens, rolling with the punches to some degree, and seeking out the efforts in order to change said circumstances should those circumstances not be, should those circumstances not be favorable to you. I'm not going to sit here and say that everyone in life is dealt with a fair, fair deck of cards, let alone a fair hand. And I can safely say that for numerous periods in my life, I wasn't. Did this publishing side of me, business, entrepreneurialism, creative side, save me, quote unquote, from that? No, because I feel that it's a passion that I've always had, and it took a little while to find my niche in that. But the human experience is so much more in that the fact that it can be shared with other individuals is groundbreaking. I mean, that's, I suppose that's why we're having this call. So to speak. <laughs> True. But, yeah. you know, I, I, it's it's so tough to come up with with an answer because, like I said, given my age, I probably aren't aware of some of the grander aspects of life that maybe others are who are older. Maybe not. Who knows? But the human experience, all I can say is it's wonderful and it is terrifying at the same time. <laughs> and I am not. I, but I think the most important thing is that, is to be able to not shy away from it. Right. 
and to not call it quits too early. So would you say that acceptance and tolerance is what the world needs the most at this time? Very much, very much so. And, you know, it's not just in terms of, I guess the, the most hot button issue would be politics, but even humanitarily speaking, that is what I believe we're lacking the most. I feel that the relationship, you know, of of one man and another man or one woman, another woman or members of the opposite sex or what have you has taken a drastic turn in regards to how one sees the world and screw everyone who thinks differently than me. You know, that, that is what I constantly see, not only on the news, but in those types of environments, in college classrooms, in places of interests, places of interest where, you know, crowds happen to gather and they believe that, for lack of a better word, they don't stink, you know, where their opinions don't don't stink, that their opinions won't cause a ruckus. And I understand the importance of wanting to speak one's own mind and feeling heard, because I do believe that a lot of people aren't are without that luxury of having another person relay something back to them or having an open conversation or God forbid, even just being chatty at random occurrences, because that all happens. And everyone wants to feel that they are the most interesting in the room, so to speak. But acceptance and tolerance is the exact opposite of that. Whereas it's not time to speak. It's time to listen. I've found that being independent in the way that I am, being, you know, more so of an introvert, even though I I typically am told that I talk like an extrovert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, but it's it, it's so important to to be able to look at one's own surroundings, formulate the formulate the opinion and then just carry on with your life, okay? A lot of people want to feel heard. And that's why they'll formulate the opinions, analyze it, and then then shout it from the rooftops because they think that it's the be-all, end-all to the discussion at hand. Whereas, personally, I don't. I like analyzing things. I like breaking things apart and piecing them back together. And I like drawing my own conclusions. Do I have to tell every single person that I know? No. It would be exhausting to do so. And I don't think that it's me being ignorant of me, uh, you know, not wanting to contribute to discussions because at the end of the day, you know, <laughs> statistically speaking, these discussions aren't going to end well, or they're going to end in a disagreement, an argument, maybe even violence. Who knows? I don't want to be a part of that. So there you go. Yeah. So I love that you added the listening as well, listening to understand, right? Right. I agree. What is freedom to you, Sebastian? Freedom to me is definitely, again, taking politics out of the equation. <laughs> yeah. It's the freedom to, to say, to write, to act, and essentially to live with no, with no restrictions on, on doing so. And I'm not saying complete, pure, unadulterated restrictions that go against legal tendencies, no. But the ability to say, write satire in the way that I do. The ability to build upon someone else's work, expressing consent that they, they have allowed me to do so. You know, the ability to speak my mind in a class or at work, even held to my parents, where they are topics that I am strongly about. You know, freedom is, it's definitely something that I feel a lot of people take for granted sometimes because they they attempt to push their own perspective on others. And going back to the whole acceptance and tolerance, you know, I'm I'm more of a fan of of being quiet and listening rather than talking. Freedom to me is the ability to freedom to me is the th is the the knowing that I can talk. Should I want to? Uh, freedom to me is also being able to 
listen at all times, even when even when the situation doesn't call for it. But uh, but you know that that's freedom to me, definitely. And that's interesting how you keep bringing back the listening yeah, the component to freedom and then the the world's greatest need. Right. It, it's it's something that I've yeah. I've definitely picked up on, and you know, through listening was when I ironically discovered speaking because I never used to be I never used to want to talk to a crowd, and after I realized that I could really formulate my own opinions, that was when I decided to go gung ho with it. Following listening, I always attempt to listen first uh, before I speak. In the text you sent to me, it had an interesting phrase with the powerful message. You say, humility is a powerful feeling. So being humble. Being humble. Yeah, (laughs) humility is, dare I say, one of my greatest tools that I've worked with. And it is exactly as the definition states where being able to essentially kick my own self when I'm down, laughing all the way. (laughs) The work that I do, whether it be intended for children or intended for young adults or even intended for adult adults, because I I do find myself being in that that spectrum, it's the ability to make bad work, plain and simple. I look back on my projects from 2015 to 2016 uh, to, you know, I guess the advent of when I started basically to now and think to myself, wow, I did not know what I was doing. I did not know what I was writing about, let alone illustrating or conveying as a general message. And I published it. Humility is being able to look at those projects years from now. But I think an even bigger part of humility is being able to sell those products. I'm going to state for the record, all of my self-proclaimed terrible books are still available for sale. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Do you also help your authors and artists to sell their products? So So personally, I do not. I allow them to take the helm when it comes to that because, like I said before, certain artists, certain authors, they want to market to specific people because it's the genre that they published. Obviously, they want to appeal to, let's say, self-help, action, satire, children, humor, what have you. And my publishing company focuses in many different varieties, many different genres. And like I said, it's very brick and mortar where this is what I've made. This is where you can find the book or the music or the film, you know, whatever I have on my website. (laughs) (laughs) And you can take a listen or look or read for yourself. And if you happen to like it, please feel free. If not, no worries. I hope one day I produce something that you do like. Now, for all intents and purposes, this hasn't shunned away customers because At the end of the day, I feel that encompassing a large variety of genres has helped me more than it's hurt me because it allows for that variety of, oh, I can pick and choose what I want. For authors specifically, I try not to intervene because I want them to know that they are being trusted by someone who is reputable. I want them to know that these books are going to the distribution channels that they want as per contractual agreement. But I would I, I would be hesitant to market their book for them because how do I put this? A lot of books are written by someone who or by people who are not of the same background as me, whether that be racially, economically, sexually, or Anything that doesn't encompass the the image of myself being a a um, a Caucasian male who lives in California, let's just say, I feel that I would be doing it an injustice to do so because a I did not write these books; I published them, and b what what is my perspective going to lend to the original author's work? I prefer to stay out of it and. Thereby, I 
I prefer to let the customer decide for themselves whether or not that this is the author that is representing the work and this is the work that I happen to want to buy. That's really about the easiest way I could put it. Um, it's not that I hate my authors or artists, not a chance. I love them all to death because um, if if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here now. <laughs> Um, but it but it is important to encompass a large uh, variety of people with their own perspectives and to essentially, again, listen instead of take the helm for them. Do you have any tips or suggestions to give authors and artists on how to sell or promote their work? Yes. Uh, my advice would be to start. Simply because okay. mm-hmm. a lot of people's a lot of people's self doubt and inhibitions, and I'm saying this from experience as well because I've had instances of this. Uh, they will prevent you from writing perhaps one of the best I, the best ideas that you may happen to have, and the idea that it is stupid or idiotic or perhaps it doesn't pertain to the masses that you wish to advertise to. I want to say bluntly and overtly that a book, your first book, is not intended to please everyone. I'll also go on record to say that your first book probably won't sell at the rate at which you want it, at which you want it to. Okay. And that's not your fault because a lot of beginner authors and artists and creative people in general. They want that instant gratification of, hey, I made a product. Now I'm going to go sell it and make a ton of money. That's not how it goes. And what, what is really a, a, kick in the, a kick in the shins is when a person has this attitude but has no product to speak of whatsoever. Because at the end of the day, you are improving on your craft when you keep on consistently doing the craft. My work, my early work is awful, and I'm willing to say that it's awful with humility while I'm still smiling talking to you right now because I knew what I wanted to make back then, and I know how to expand upon it now, leading me into more projects for the future. We're almost at the end. Um, I have to ask you this question. Spirituality, what is to be spiritual to you, and do you have any spiritual practices? Well, I guess in terms of answering it, uh, the first question and the second question, spirituality to me is, I remember hearing this um, from someone important in my life, uh, let's just say that, who stated that spirituality, if it is conveyed, if it is expressed in in a wide public forum, it is not spiritual. Now, I realize that that may go against every single kind of church, monastery, <laughs> temple. Okay, I, I understand that. Mm-hmm. Though, at the beginning of this call, we did understand the difference between individualism and individualism in the self and others. I happen to think that spirituality exists still independently within the self because there are certain spiritual aspects of my life that maybe i wouldn't have accepted had it would have had it would have been with other people wanting to tell me different that's all i'll say on the matter because again everyone is different in their in their thought process on this uh when it comes to spiritual practices um ironically i used to go to church <laughs> uh, you know i i still am i i am a baptized catholic uh you know i do i do read scripture i do meditate i do you know a lot of practices that generally calm me down more so than connect me with another plane of existence as i think a lot of people would want to believe spirituality does Maybe it does to some people. I don't know. But it's definitely helped me understand the fluidity of my work ethic when it is time to take a break and when it is time to be appreciative of the things in my life that I wouldn't have otherwise thought previously on four or five years ago. That's an interesting perspective that spirituality brings us to a state of balance and harmony. It does. It does. Mm -hmm. 
I have a few more questions for you, but before I ask them, would you like to add anything? Sure. Um, so I officially have a new website in the works at the moment. Unfortunately, it is still currently being worked on, so there is no official URL. However, though, if you prefer to shoot me a email or a text message or phone call, you can find me under Sebastian Shug Publishing on Google. I just recently got my business license, so it is 100% bona fide official. Wonderful. <laughs> and my email and contact information is, is on Google. Feel free to check it out. You'll find a wide variety of books, music, film, audiobooks, podcasts. Yeah, no, just a wide variety of media that uh, I'd love for you all to check out. Two more questions for you. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? I would not. And I can safely say that I am, you know, I'm, of course, not in a position to say that because I haven't experienced my whole life. And I know that kind of goes against your question because it, it's happening right now. <laughs> yeah. um, but as of right now, if you're asking if I would be content with dying, uh, yes, I would. The only thing I would regret in dying right here, right now, is the fact that I haven't done enough. And I would love to do more. I'd love to do more for myself. I'd love to do more for my community, my fellow authors and artists. And... There's a million things that I've yet to do, and it's just a matter of time. My last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of today? Number one, nothing is guaranteed. Nothing will work out the way you expect them to by some major or minor degree, and that's okay. When... And I'll kind of go into it just a little bit. But when, when I say that nothing is guaranteed, it, it, people are often turned off by that statement because it's a, it's, a, it's a door slamming shut in their face is what it is. Whereas people don't take the time to, to look at the open windows and open crevices to crawl through for new opportunities or even new perspectives for that matter. Number two is start. I said this earlier, start in whatever you do and hold that and hold back that self-denial and self-doubt, uh, that really uh, insecurity within yourself. Because I can almost guarantee you, as someone who's done this for about six years, at an age where legally I couldn't even work in the United States because you know I was 15, <laughs> had I not gone for the opportunity of sitting down with a stranger who I've never met before, who wanted to illustrate a children's book, but had no illustrator to do so, I would not be here where I am now. And, you know, I, I, I'm considerably blessed to have had this opportunity to even still be friends with that man to this day. My third, my third piece of advice would definitely be and this is counterintuitive to you know a lot of how I acted as a you know maybe as an adolescent, but do not sweat the small stuff because it is all small stuff. And I suppose this could go hand in hand with nothing is guaranteed, but when it comes down to not sweating the small stuff, I've learned firsthand what it means to be at the short end of the stick in dealing with a situation where I would overreact in an instance of me not really needing to overreact. It didn't, sol it didn't solve anything. It didn't help, help my level of analysis. More often than not, I found myself realizing that keeping a calm head was the way to go because at the end of the day, it wouldn't have affected me anyway. I would often make these correlations as to whether or not, oh, you know, this is so bad for me or this is so good for me and I'm just nervous and what if I mess it up? The most important thing is to try. It sounds very general, but the fact of the matter is if you give 110%, or I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that because I often say that giving 110% is idiotic, do the best you can. <laughs> Don't try to outshine other individuals. <laughs> if you made that effort, that's all anyone can say. 
And I've learned to make peace with that. I've learned to grow from that. And I've learned to definitely mature from that if the results happen to not turn out in my favor. Thank you so much again, Sebastian, for sharing your wisdom and your authentic presence. I love the way you speak from that place of knowing what you know without any self-doubt. So that's a message for all of us, a powerful one. Thank you. Thank you. So again, uh, would you like to um, give us the information, your email? Sure. So you can contact me either on Google, like you could search up Sebastian Shug Publishing or just Sebastian Shug. But if you want my direct email, it is S-E-B-O-I-B-O-O-K-A-C-C-T at gmail.com. This is where I handle all of my manuscripts, uh, my revisions, essentially uh, publishing in general, as well as other uh, multimedia publishing, whether that be music, film. Yeah, it just kind of funnels all into one. And I suppose phone number, because I do I do talk to my um, potential clients over the phone. You could, you could reach me at 626-393-8791. Feel free to shoot me a message and I'd be happy to take your call or message in regards to your publishing inquiries. Thank you so much again and we'll talk soon. Definitely. Bye for now, Sebastian. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Sebastian Shug and his work, please visit seaboybookact.wixsite.com slash SSNMP. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.